0: All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Kente Corner, your favorite casual Hoya basketball podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Bancroft, and here for the first time in a long time—I'm not sure how long it's been or how we got to this point—but anyway, back by popular demand, long-time regular here on Kente Corner, nationwide, Nolan. Nolan, I know that you haven't been on a while. It's almost like nothing's really changed, though. Or you know, depending on how you look at things. First of all, how's it going? It's going well, I, I would say.
1: I don't know when the last time I was on, but I I think it's accurate to say nothing has changed, Um, which I guess the consistency is almost impressive at this point.
0: Yeah, that's kind of the thing. It's like, well, nothing's changed, but at the same time, it's sort of unreal what we're sort of experiencing. So we're recording this on Monday night. Georgetown plays DePaul Part 2, kind of the game that, you know, if you love Ken Palm, this looks like the chance to break the streak And um, as everyone knows, the streak is up to 29 games in the Big East regular season, the longest Big East streak ever, Um, 34 games against major conference foes. It really doesn't seem real. There's so many different places we can start, but I know that you do a good job of, you know, posting clips of different plays. The offense hasn't been that great. It seems like it's kind of, it's become more one-on-one ball, but the defense, I feel like is slipping into a spot that doesn't even seem possible. Which one do you want to start with? We can start with the offense, which I think okay. I,
1: I think Primo Spears has kind of become a bit polarizing, um, which I can't really fault the way he's playing. He's kind of doing what he's asked, and I think all things considered, he's probably squeezing out the most of his ability. But it's just I don't know where the offense has gone the last few years compared to things they did before. Now maybe some of that early on is you had a really impressive offensive player and Jesse Govan, who you could do a lot of things with. And since that point, it's been a traditional center. Um, But yeah, it just kind of turns into Primo or Brandon Murray just trying to bail you out of offense. And I think the Heath injury, not to give the program any excuses, but I, I do think that hurt the offense quite a bit with his shooting ability and he could handle a little bit, but it's, I I would say the offense is bad, whereas the defense is just historically bad.
0: Yeah, starting with the offense, just like you did. Clearly with Murray and Heath out, you know, Georgetown is 0-9 in the league. If everybody was healthy the whole time, which, you know, doesn't happen in team sports, I'm not sure how many more wins they would have, if any. But definitely with those two guys out. And I think we saw it in the Seton Hall game, where in the first half, Georgetown was 2-16, for from deep they just don't have the three-point shooters you know I know Caden Rice last year got a lot of grief but you had a guy that could kind of there's a chance he, he could just go off but you know I mean in, in that game between you know missing from three Bristol and Riley and you know Mazone, I guess is kind of the guy that you know you're thinking maybe he can go off from three and he's shooting 31 percent so it's tough right I mean I think I think Primo Spears would have it would be interesting, and maybe it was never going to be the plan. But if he had a chance to play the two guard with Dante as the one, I mean, I know that these what-ifs are kind of, what are they going to change, maybe like one game or two games. But, it's it, yeah, it, it is just really difficult to see, like, what's trying to be accomplished. I will say, before getting to the defense, we have seen enough from Jordan Riley now with the injuries that it's sort of it's stunning that there were games this year where he really didn't play, right? Yes. I, I think you look at him, I
1: I mean, he's clearly the best. At, maybe, well, a cook's length is a factor, but I think just as a pure athlete, Jordan Riley, just, he passes that eye test. You can see why Florida State recruited him, that Kansas recruited him. He just kind of gets out there and makes things happen. Um, and it's, it's hard to understand why he had a stretch of, what was it, like six, DNPs. He's been, I mean, the efficiency with him is probably not going to be there yet. His shot obviously needs work, and he's going to turn it over a little bit too much, but
0: it's, it's pretty evident he, he could have had a much more sizable role. Well, I mean, even if you go back to the first game of the season, Coppin and state, you know, you have to survive into overtime. Foul trouble is the reason he ended up getting in towards the end of the game, and then he played most mm-hmm. of overtime, and that was at a point where Jay Heath wasn't eligible yet so you know, even like right off the bat uh, Jordan didn't seem to be part of the plans. I know that you know his dad has been a in, in an interesting uh voice on social media um but you know you 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 can definitely see where some of the frustration is there and then with the defense I don't know how i i think recently i've I've tweeted a couple there's a couple coaching uh follows I have on there, and I think I tweeted like uh Bennett giving a talk on on the pack line. And I know you can't just wake up and decide to play the pack line. But in year six, the fact that Georgetown just can't defend the three, it, which is, you know, such a big part of basketball in 2023, it's crazy.
1: It, it's <laughs> – I mean, think about last year and how bad it was. That was historically bad. And right. that team finished 228 in Kempom defensively. And now you're at 281. I mean, this is, like, year the worst defense the Big East has ever seen. Um, yeah. It's just – and I think there was hope, and I think rightfully so, the start of the year with bringing Nickelberry. And I think the idea from that first set of games is, say hey, we're going to try to press a little bit. We're going to switch everything. Um, try to mirror what LSU did, which had a top-ten defense. And it's like – like Brandon Murray played the most minutes on a defense that finished sixth nationally. Uh Keith has been out a while now, but he was a key factor on a defense, I think that was top fifty. A cook was at UConn, like it it's just hard to understand how you can't do better than this. I mean, it's they just there's no structure, it's undisciplined. It, it really is mind-boggling that it's gotten to this level. Um, and you think about Ewing's first four years, I mean, it was never worse than 130-ish, I think. And now these past two years, it's just its totally hopeless on that end of the court. It, it's really astonishing.
0: It, it's astonishing, too. And obviously, the Big East losing streak goes back to the last regular season game before the Big East tournament. And they basically won the Big East tournament by playing defense at a pretty high level. But then the very next game against Colorado, you saw the worst, basically, performance that you could see in the worst, you know, situation, the NCAA tournament, you know, when you were a hot team coming in. You know, Jesse got a lot of, I think, flack from Hoya fans as far as, you know, maybe he's the problem defensively from the end of JT3 to the beginning of Patrick. Kudus Wahab came back. What were you expecting from Kudis, and how has it gone? Has it gone the way you've expected? Has he surprised you And sort of he, – he seems to be a, a lesser player than he was when he left?
1: Yeah, it, it's – I don't know if last year just totally broke him confidence-wise, um, but he's regressed. I mean, there's no way around it. You think about that defense two years ago that went on that run late, yeah, And I, I wouldn't classify him as the anchor. I think the key to that was you had um, Eli Eli and pick and Pickett, that you had those two at the forward spots where Jamarco was a long 6'9 and, and Tootie was a aggressive physical presence that really, I mean, I, I think he, him and Jamarco, that tandem really sparked that run as much as anything. And I kind of thought this year, okay, well, Q's back, a cook, a cook is a, Long six ten athlete, and you add a Murray, you kind of don't have that same size at the small forward spot. But you could kind of talk yourself in, okay, we're going to be big up front again um, with that combo, at the four five. And it just he's he's just lost on that end, um, and teams know it now. I mean, teams are going to attack him in ball screens. There's no way around it. And there's, <laughs> and not to say it's. It, only him causing the issues. Um, he's not the root of it. I think you could put anybody there and, and the breakdowns on the back line of the defense would exist. But That's actually
0: a pretty good point because my next thing would be in the beginning of the season. And for, the, for those of you that, you know, you Georgetown makes the home um, press conferences, they put them up eventually. If if Marcus, that we have it all the time, doesn't post it, um, usually you can find it. And in the beginning of the season, I basically said, you know, hey Patrick, it looks like we're one game we're seeing Matumbo, the next game we're seeing Izawiro as you know the backup big, and I think Patrick said it was a coin flip, which was an interesting uh, answer. And, and then you know the coin has just kept it's basically landed on on heads, you mm-hmm. know, ten straight games or something. Basically, I think since the American game, we haven't really seen Matumbo play a meaningful minute. Um, do you think that there's anything differently they can do because it does sort of seem like to me. Particularly at the end of the Villanova game, when when you knew Dixon was just going to fake out Bradley, basically, it seems to me like maybe if you played Matumbo and you try to play a zone and just have Matumbo kind of be some version of Roy Hibbert, where you're just you're just a big person. Uh, yeah. That, that said, it it's, it just seems like maybe there is nowhere to go unless the Cooks playing the five. You tell me what's kind of what would be the optimal uh, distribution of minutes or style or what are you seeing?
1: I would try to play zone. I mean, what's the downside to it? <laughs> I mean, I, there is no downside. You're as bad as it gets. And you've seen, I've yet to see this team live the last two years. But from all accounts, Ryan is like a legitimate 7-2, isn't
0: he? He is an enormous
1: human being. Yeah. So plug him in the middle of a zone and see if it works. I mean, there's a lot of things they could try. I'm not saying anything could work. But if you went to like a token, like one-two-two press, just to eat up time off the shot clock, you you know just minimize that time you actually have to spend on that side of the floor yeah and you i know, think that,
0: we... that's sort of an interesting point I ha- have you seen because you know i i don't think i've seen it right basically where you're you know you're on a 29 game biggest losing streak you've lost 34 straight and whatever you, you can go back to the start of the season the losing streak was enormous then i feel like we haven't seen sort of like a completely oh my gosh we can't win let's just try something gimmicky mm-hmm. completely different just to get a win like like remember years ago when uh notre dame was in the big east they had a million injuries and you know bray went to like the burn offense i guess I yeah i feel like we haven't seen like something just you know what let's see if this sticks and i feel that's maybe one of the more frustrating parts of a very frustrating overall situation it is and you know last year when ewing missed
1: time um did he miss one game or two i just remember okay the butler game i think it was home that they actually did play zone for almost the majority and yeah. it probably ended up being one of their better defensive values The offense did nothing because I think Carey missed that game maybe. Gary, yeah, you're, yeah. You're right. Try something. Um like you have to I mean like yes, on Saturday, Duke. I'm sure John Shire has no interest in playing zone. But they couldn't guard Miami. He mixed in like a one three one like you have to try something. I mean, it, to me, there's just so much low hanging fruit now with this program um, that, you know, not to get too far down the road, but assuming there's a new coach, there's just going to be so much stuff to pluck off. Like, hey, you didn't do this well. You didn't do that well. Like, it. And I, I think that you would be fair to be critical of the current coaching staff to not try something different. Um, it just feels like. We're going to roll the ball out. We're going to keep doing what we're doing and, and see if it works. And it, it clearly just does not work.
0: It's not working. Um, and if it's going to work, if the streak is going to end, it seems like DePaul part two, you know, look, it's not probably not fair to DePaul to keep thinking of them, maybe in the terms that probably immediately pop up into my head, into your head, into a lot of people's heads. You know, LePaul, DePaul's legitimate right now, right? Like, you know, they're not good but they've shown that they can show up and beat legitimate teams. That's something Georgia hasn't done since they beat a not great version of Syracuse last year. Right. So Mm -hmm. in this weird biggie schedule where, you know, you've already faced Xavier twice, you've already faced Villanova twice, you know, there's, you know, they haven't played Providence at all. They haven't played St. John's. What do you, what, what do you take away from the first meeting with DePaul and what you think is the path to a win this time?
1: I think they're just in a spot
0: where they need
1: Primo to just, I mean, Saturday was kind of the game you had to have to try to steal one where he just goes off and you score a ton and, but the defense just isn't there. I I think you have to count on DePaul not shooting the ball that well, which obviously is a possibility. Um, And I Murray TBD, but, if he's in there too, just for him and Primo, just to make an inordinate amount of mid-range shots and knocking a few threes, um, just because I don't think you have any hope to rely on your defense really, aside from teams just missing wide-open shots.
0: Yeah, that that does seem to be a big part of it. I I sort of feel like right now Ken Palm is being a little a little harsh to DePaul and maybe a little bit nice to Butler. I really feel like that's that's the game. That's kind of seg- segues into. There's a bunch of new coaches in the league. What sort of is your takeaway? You don't have to get into depth on this, but, you know, basically we've got Neptune at Villanova. We know about their struggles. You know, Mata's back at Butler. If you only watch the Georgetown-Butler game, you'd probably think Butler's having a great season. That is not the case. We saw what Holloway had to say about his team the other day at uh, Seton Hall. Am I forgetting any new coaches? Miller, obviously Xavier is off to an incredible start, of course. Lucky for them, they've, they've played Georgetown twice early.
1: I am incredibly impressed with Sean Miller. Um, I don't know what he did in his time off, but that offense and the pace they play at is pretty incredible. They don't defend anybody, but they're going to outscore teams. Um, I, I think he just lumped Neptune and Holloway into the same category. Kind of weird situations for both of them to take over. Um, and Neptune hasn't had Justin Moore, and then he didn't have Whitmore for a while. And I I've just mentioned to this you um, that Holloway, I think he hates that team. Um, he's so certainly not uh, bashful about
0: saying things about his players. Yeah.
1: So I think he's going to want his own guys. And then the other end of the spectrum from Miller is I, I'm i not sure if Thad Mata. It seems to me, maybe he'd like a redo on the stepping back into coaching. Um, they just seem kind of lifeless and it's, I think it's gonna be a tough road for him. Um and then the second year guy, I mean Shaka, what he's done is is incredible. Same thing as Xavier, that offense is I think Marquette's the number one rated offense in the country now. What he's done I'd like to know what he did in his time off or when he switched jobs, what I think there was a nice article on The Athletic about um think somebody hired to that staff or at least somebody spoke to to kind of modernize what he was doing offensively and it's it's clearly paid off. It
0: it has and um his you know the engine to his offense, uh Tyler Kolick was the A ten rookie of the year here locally at George Jason and I I ended up going to a lot of their games and I was talking to their S I D and I was just like, Man, you know, I just don't remember Kolick being this this good. Yeah. And he's like, well, you have to remember, when he was here, you guys couldn't come. Yeah, And I was like, that's right. That's right. So it makes sense because, I mean, I'm going to be honest, you know, and I think it's, I think at some point on Twitter, just ask, you know, if you're a Georgetown fan and you're a college basketball fan, you have to be getting through this with like a side team. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. otherwise, you're just, you're just going to walk away from the sport. You know what I mean? Like, there's just no, I mean, unless you're like an alum, that's just, just all into everything because that's where you graduate. And if that's you, that's awesome. But at the same time, I think if you're a college basketball fan, like maybe like, you know, me or you growing up, and you ended up with Georgetown for whatever reason, if you want to, you know, if you want to stay in the college basketball game and just have something in it, you have to kind of find a side team. And I really did not like Shaka at VCU. I thought it was, I mean, obviously being Georgetown didn't help my opinion of them. Yeah. But, you know, I felt what they did wasn't sustainable at a high level. And he kind of proved that at Texas. You know, the idea of four and five stars playing all scrappy. Like, that's not really Mm how – the way they play now is just completely different from that. And I'm just wondering how much is Tyler Kolick, right? Like, how many guys are there? Because if you haven't watched Marquette play, and I wrote it in, like, the little preview that I do on the casual site, I mean, they're fun to watch.
1: Yeah. And I think if you're a fan of college basketball that – a program like marquette or xavier that's kind of what you're also holding on to for hope yeah that you know i don't I a don't non-football think school had, yeah and i don't think out of that entire marquette rotation i mean there might have been one or two guys like on the fringes of top 100 but i think those are all you know 100 to top 150 guys and they kind of filled in right i, I, I thought i There might be one or two transfers, but not many. Um, And Xavier, I mean, Miller just took over what Steele had there, and he's totally flipped it. Um, So, yeah, I I, I think those are good examples of, hey, this thing can get turned around quicker than what it feels like right
0: now. Well, you know, the one guy they've got, and I'll probably say his name wrong, but Oso, he's basically like Mm – it's kind of like, I feel like if he had been here, you know, if he'd been at Georgetown 10 years ago, he'd been like a great point forward type yeah. guy. Yeah. Um. I feel like he's sort of having a Henry Sims, like all of a sudden, Hey, look, I exist. I'm doing pretty good. I mean, yeah. maybe, yeah. That's cause it's, not, it's not totally fair because he actually played okay last year, but I think his impact this year is just kind of unbelievable.
1: Yeah. It's, uh, it's really impressive what they've done. I mean, you just, you really can't stop that offense. Um, So Shaka deserves a ton of credit for, you know, adapting. And then Miller too. Um, So yeah, it's, those were high quality hires. Um, Some people would debate if Georgetown could have had one or the other right now, but. um, Well,
0: yeah, I think, I think the thing too is to look at where other teams in your league, where do other teams make hires? Mm -hmm. right and obviously shock is a different situation um and you know miller was you know sitting out um i'm not seeing any biggie schools going out and hiring high school coaches or guys that are known for coaching in high school or um guys that are limited coaching experience as an assistant you know what i mean like like if you're a biggie school you can't really cut your teeth in the beast and it's difficult to do that i I think you, you know obviously neptune was kind of like a program hire, but he'd been, you know, he'd been there for a long time and he wasn't, you know, he's part of college. He was coaching, you know, Fordham to a pretty, pretty good year. But I think it's important as what's happening at Georgetown and what looks to be almost, I mean, an absolute certainty at the end of the season. Like where do other, where do your other neighbors basically do their grocery shopping? Yeah. And I think that's an important thing to look at as, you know, if you go on Twitter, if you go on the message boards, basically everyone's just left to sort of talking about, the future in a different direction, and I, you know, I think it's important to be realistic about where where this league hires from.
1: Yeah, I, I think the big thing for Georgetown is you can't gamble this time. I mean, that's
0: no, because it, you just you you just gambled.
1: Yeah, and if you do it again and it fails, you are obsolete. You can't have another four years of, of a failed hire. And I think Neptune's a great example. Who I think is going to be fine, but just on paper lead assistant on two national championship teams, hand picked by Jay Wright, really for a year worked some miracles at Fordham and now he's really struggling. I mean I think it just goes to show like for the position Georgetown is in now, you cannot make a hire that has the potential to be graded an F. Like and I know there's some people out there who people would just probably classify as an okay hire, a C plus if push comes to shove, you might have to go in that direction because you cannot make a big mistake that will cost you another three, four, five years.
0: Yeah, the floor on your next hire has to just be, yeah, you know, five hundred in the league. You, you know, no worse than like eight and four. You know what I mean? Like you can't, mm-hmm. you 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 can't. You know, people say, oh, you know, Georgetown basically exists because they hired a high school coach.
1: Okay. Yeah, it's it's not nineteen seventy two. Okay.
0: Like, there's just so many issues with that idea. Okay. And, and, you know, we're seeing where guys get hired from, and this can't be a learning on the job situation. It's just too much to ask unless you find a way to get the perfect staff and not even mm-hmm. just the guys that are the guys that can recruit, but like down to your operations guy, your assistant, your video guy. Like, everything needs to be a home run if yeah. you take if if you make a risky hire and they're just not in that position right now. Um, no. And I, I would devalue recruiting as much as ever
1: right now. I would want somebody who knows how to work the portal. But as far as – like when JT3 was battling it out in like 2007, 2008 for like four or five-star guys who so you knew would stick around two, three, maybe four years, Yeah. Prioritize local relationships, AAU scene, whatever. But I think in today's modern era now, you can flip rosters in one year, and you need. I I think above all, you do need that safe floor of somebody who's operated a high major Division One program and can actually coach what's out
0: there on the floor. Yeah, I think it's going to be hard to disagree on that. So we kind of went over this when we talked about the coaches. The Big East is kind of looking like a five bid league. I think to get a six team, you'd have to have St. John's, Seton Hall, or Villanova would have to do kind of like an Undertaker impression, right? Where more more comes back and they just go on a run. Mm-hmm. What what do you think about the league? I, I think there's a severe
1: drop off from that top five. Um I I would be surprised if anybody outside of that made a run. Yeah. And I think that top five really is kind of on equal footing right now i mean what ed cooley's done at providence these last two years is really impressive um and then creighton's had issues early on with Kalk brenner and brutal schedule they're kind of rounding into form
0: the computers and love U- them
1: yeah and yukon i i think UConn's going to be just fine um they look like world beaters and then kind of got humbled here but i think they're right up there so i I am interested to see those top five battle it out. Um but yeah, I, I agree. I, I think you're
0: staring at a five bed league right now. Yeah, and I wouldn't have I wouldn't have thought Seton Hall is still in with a shout, basically. You know, yeah. I mean they're right there, like they look like they're pretty bad. Even before the season started, they had a lot of injuries and it seemed even before they even played one minute, it seemed like uh Holloway was not really enthused with his group. Um St. John's is interesting. Um, so before I get to St. John's, so obviously Texas job, maybe the guy will keep it. He's doing a great job. We know that Notre Dame is going to be open. Bray, who I thought was probably one of the more likely candidates, you know, in the event that there was an open job in DC, mm-hmm. looks like he's at least taken a year off. So I don't think Georgetown fans need to worry about that. And then St. John's, I mean, it's, you know, this if, if Mike Anderson doesn't get them to the tournament this year, and it's going to, it's going to take a little bit of a turnaround here. Um, you know, they really blew a game against Villanova the other night. Um, Could have got them to four and five in the league instead of their three and six. If Mike Anderson doesn't make the tournament, it'll be his longest drought of missing a tournament at any of the schools that he's been at. Um, Is that one of the concerns that you have out there? I know I see a lot of other people kind of, you know, uh, alluding to it or just flat out, you know, bringing it up. Like, look, if you're Georgetown and you let this coaching uncertainty go for a while, there's other schools that could get ahead of you in the pecking order. In a vacuum, I'm concerned about Georgetown just in general of having
1: their Ducks in a row and being ready to go. Um, I mean, assuming they let Ewing finish this out, like I think what is the last day? March 8th is Wednesday of the first round of the Big East tournament.
0: Yeah, and like, they're, they're they're sort of weird too because obviously it's, it's an 11-team league and so every mm-hmm. weekend somebody has to be off unless they play a non-conference. So Georgetown is actually – they play midweek, and then they they're they're the only team that doesn't play on March fourth, which is the Saturday. Yeah. So, it's it's kind of weird. I mean, we shoot we we, we 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 could do a whole seg a whole show on sort of the case study of what's happening here with just mm. <laughs> everything, but it, it's almost like letting it go until the season's over is even extra weird because they they're off that final Saturday. Yeah,
1: that is odd to me, like that week you have to be ready to go and maybe your top target who eventually you end up with is going to coach throughout the post season. So nothing will get formalized until who knows, could be April, yeah. but you need to be ready to go. So in that sense, I'm worried. Um, now, if they handle things accordingly, I'm not really worried about St. John's because I would value the Georgetown job higher than I would St. John's. I think, I'm not sure what they're paying Anderson. I I would think Georgetown pays better. I think facilities and I'd rather recruit the DMV history. I I just think Georgetown's a better job, Um, all things equal. Now Georgetown, the administration like, okay, we're actually gonna clean house. We're gonna separate from the Thompson's and Ewings. This is a new day, like that has to be part of the package. So if, if you get beat by St. John's to a candidate, to me, that tells me, okay, you didn't get things in order the way you were supposed to. You didn't come with a competitive offer. So in that sense, I'm worried about Georgetown, but as far as another job opening, um, Notre Dame or St. John's, like as long as you do what you're supposed to do and make it an attractive place to be, I, I think you went out, um, obviously short of like Texas or maybe Louisville opens this year. Who knows? Like, Okay, you're you're not gonna win those, um, if you're after the same candidate, but a school in this conference like Saint John's, I, I wouldn't be worried going head up with them. Just it's just make sure you have things in order.
0: Yeah, I mean obviously it's a Georgetown podcast, so it would make sense that we would both agree that Georgetown's a better job than Saint John's, but I don't have any doubt in that it's a better job for a bunch of reasons. I mean, it does you know the which with every game it gets further and away from Georgetown being a better program than St. John's, I suppose. But I just think that when you you got the Thompson Center, you know, recruiting locally doesn't mean that you get every recruit. It just means that you get like some, <laughs> mm-hmm. you, you know. And I think it's I think it's it's a great spot, and I think it's better than St. John's. But yeah, you know, I think you're... I think if you're a Georgetown fan, I think that you want Mike Anderson to get as close to 500 as possible. Yeah
1: and think about if you're a head coach and you're looking at the two situations okay mike anderson very underwhelming four years but somewhat competitive and he got fired after four years Where <laughs> if you're a candidate and you look at ewing and you're like okay he lost it's going to be maybe 30 some odd big east games in a row and it took that to get him fired like the job security's here and there's not much pressure so i think beyond even Recruiting location facilities like that job security and not much pressure. I, I think that has to weigh in Georgetown's favor as well.
0: Yeah. And I, I think, I think actually what now I've got, I've got their Ken Palm page up. I think what Mike Anderson's done at St. John's is sort of what I would consider to be the worst case scenario for any program. And that is, you kind of like he's basically his four years there have kind of been like the last two years of JT3. Where your mm-hmm. Ken Palm 60 sum team, right? Where yeah. that's that's not bad, but it's also not good enough, right, to get to where you want to get yeah. basically get to the tournament. And I think that that's actually like a worse place to be in. Now what Georgetown finishes yeah. this year is just gonna it's not even you know, paint touches always puts up these graphs and your know, Georgetown's at the bottom. I mean, it's like you can't even see where they are. But I think I think the worst case scenario is being a team that's like I don't know, sixty seventy eighty 70, 80 Ken Palm, and the coach does yeah. enough every year to kind of make a case to mm-hmm. stay, but you know that you're just so far from it. Um, well, yeah, I, a good example of that is would you rather be Georgetown or
1: Pittsburgh right now where Jeff Capel was pretty much left for dead at the end of last year and now is kind of – they've played well. They're 6-3 and three in the ACC, but as a Pitt fan, you have to know he's taking you nowhere, but he <laughs> might be doing well enough to save his job. And I guess if you're a Georgetown fan, the way to look at it is, okay, well, the Band-Aid is at least getting ripped off in 40-something days. Um, So, I I mean, nobody's happy we've lost this many games in a row, but I I do agree there are actually worse scenarios out there to to be in the midst of.
0: And it's funny because this is usually like an NBA conversation, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, it's usually well, you know, you don't have the guy, but you're not tanking, um, you know, and obviously there's no tanking in in college, you don't you, you don't get multiple five stars because you've been tanking. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, Capel uh, ACC wins three, six, 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 he's six every year, and then he already had six this year. Um, and I, so Pitt could basically think... lose out and he would have he would he would match his his high watermark for wins.
1: And the odd thing, and I think Koya break down the Twitter account. Um, he had mentioned this, that the depths that we've hit, how bad it's gotten, has actually kind of kept this program's name um, out there and kind of a buzzword. Not in a good way, but no, you probably are getting more recognition right now than you would have if you were going 4-14 four and 14 in the league the last two years.
0: Yeah, and that is one of the things, too to look at and say, you know, if Seton Hall wasn't on a 29 game losing street, would people care? I mean, probably no. not. And at some point you have to do something because the people that care not to be morbid, you know, people don't live forever. Right. So, you yeah. know, we're always going through cycles of like where you kind of fit, but like the people that are still in charge of, you know, making headlines and writing stuff, they all still remember Georgetown being good. Um, mm-hmm. But you have to every couple of cycles, you know, feedback into that or all of a sudden, you know, you become DePaul because DePaul didn't used to always be like this. You know, like when I was a kid, they were on like the tail end of mattering and now they've just become a joke forever. And Mm -hmm. that goes back to what you said about the coaching hire. You can't really take a chance because you really do risk becoming DePaul.
1: Yeah. Um, No, you, you had your free roll like in 2017. It was like, okay, we stagnated, you know, at, at that point, you're two years removed from a second round appearance. Like you moved on from JT three because you needed to get back to being a top 20 program who could make a deep run in March and you took a swing and it failed. And I think you've cornered you're in a position now where there are no gambles. You need a lock of a hire.
0: Yeah. I mean, wh- whoever on the board, you know, got, that going at that time i know the boards change over time but the ambition and i think we're on the different sides of it i probably wouldn't have made that move it sounds like you were ready and i'm I'm not ready to argue that yeah. because he definitely wasn't doing good enough but they showed a, a ton of ambition in 2017 um and they haven't you know showed like i don't know a, 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 t- a tenth of that basically um So it'll be interesting. Well, Nolan, it was good to have you on. I know that you do need to get out of here. Um, Somehow we just haven't been doing as many pods recently. I've been doing a lot of the go over what the other school's reporter uh, thinks of where Georgetown is and kind of preview that game. But we got to do some more of these. And, uh, you know, even though Georgetown's losing, I think the pods are going to get a little more interesting as we kind of get towards the biggest thing that can happen to the program.
1: Yeah, Definitely.
0: All right, well, you can get him at Nationwide. Nolan, I'm at Bobby Bancroft. Subscribe to the podcast. Probably some information coming out of the podcast sometime soon. Um, We'll get to that when we have more information. But until then, keep subscribing, keep liking, and we'll keep putting out episodes. Uh, Nolan, thanks a lot, man.
1: Thanks, Bobby.